Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. After we spent a lot of last week's show bemoaning England's lack of rotation and deviation from Plan A, the tables have turned somewhat, with the ECB calling up an entirely new squad led by Ben Stokes for the Pakistan ODIs after seven members of their ODI party tested positive for COVID-19. We'll be talking about that, the end of the Sri Lanka and India series, the latest round of the county championship and much more. I'm Yaz Rana and on today's show, I'm joined by the managing editor of Wisdom.com, Ben Gardner, the editor-in-chief of Wizards Cricket Monthly, Phil Walker, and former England cricketer, Mark Butcher. Phil, before we get into the into the squad, the squad that was called up, was Tuesday morning a bit of a, a bit of a reality check for the English game with a lot of cricket still to be played this summer? Uh, yeah, it's probably a good way of putting it. Um, they, they had no choice but to act and take the nuclear option. I think it was... Uh, absolutely the right call. I think they, they spoke to one or two experts, you know, medical experts and so on, and they were all in agreement that they had to act and that quickly. Um, Giles said it's on a knife edge. He said exactly the, the same, he used exactly the same phrase this time last summer. Um, and any notions that we are, you know, out of the woods and that uh, we can afford to relax as our esteemed leaders um, down the road at Westminster are kind of encouraging us to. Um, well, I think it's, we've seen the folly of that this week. Um, uh, the ECB have necessarily, in order to protect the game, been kind of behind the... the, the uh, they've kind of lined up behind changes, of, changes within society, you know, necessarily so, because they are protecting a game that is absolutely desperate for this kind of revenue as we know and the, the show has to go on come what may um so they made this decision um and it was absolutely the right one ben we've talked about before how um the situation this summer is completely different and just a far harder task actually creating a biosecure bubble than last summer the health secretary literally said earlier this week to expect a hundred thousand cases a day Later this summer, last summer, when England were playing West Indies, Pakistan, there's about a thousand cases nationwide a day. It's a completely different um, task facing the ECB and, and they're not going about it in exactly the same way as last year for understandable reasons. But, you know, you can see how something like this could happen and could happen again. Yeah, they're in a really tricky situation. But yeah, there was a lot of sort of congratulation last year over the, uh, the security of that bio bubble and in hindsight... I mean, I don't think there's actually been in cricket at least a bio bubble that has kind of stayed intact in a country where COVID cases have been that high. We saw it happen in South Africa, we saw it happen in India, where in the IPL, where eventually something is just going to give, basically. But then also, I think they've rightly recognised the strain on players' mental health that being in these sort of enclosed environments does create. And I've kind of felt that that's not going to be almost feasible this summer. So they do have to take like 
slightly relaxed that they would say it's not too much but still they're not playing at grounds all the time where there are hotels attached to the grounds so there's just that little bit more insecurity there that gets introduced and then also there's there's so much more kind of valuable cricket to be played this summer like they, they sort of they postponed the 100 last year to give it the best go this year and you know they'll be able to get crowds in which they wouldn't be able to last year so from that point of view uh, it'll look like a good thing but if if you know there's a an outbreak within a team say and it's it's a much harder thing to get sort of another sort of 15 county cricketers in and then keep the integrity of that competition and not have it become sort of something that's instantly diminished in its, in its first tournament so yeah it's, it's a really tricky situation i don't I'd be, I'd be surprised basically if this was the last we hear of it i think i've i think i saw something saying the india team are all getting their second jabs this week so it might be that in that series possibly there can be a little bit more sort of that that, that a covid a covid case even say in the middle of a test match doesn't need to be the the end of a whole game maybe they'll sort of uh make things slightly stricter by having sort of a bubbles within bubbles and that sort of thing so they can isolate close contacts i mean because that's the other thing in this is it wasn't just one player getting or one support staff member getting a case and then they've taken this it was it was seven so it was it was kind of within the whole group and there was like but it might have been that if it had just been one they could have just removed sort of five players that they recognize as close contacts and then brought a few in and it wouldn't have been so sort of a uh, dramatic the move so yeah this is uh this is this is this is worrying but um also this is like in a way the worst case apart from it not being the most high profile series and we're still looks like we're going to get uh, a game on so the, you know the interesting thing about all of this is that everything is very very different from last year uh, there is the, 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 they're not in biosecure bubbles the teams they're, they're staying in hotels that the general public is staying in they're not locked away nothing is the same as it was then yes we have vaccines yes there are crowds in the grounds I was at Wembley last night walking down Wembley way with 60,000 people all penned in nobody wearing masks I mean it's kind of you know the the, the, the cases are going to go up and they're going to go through the roof whether it will it will mean that there are as many people hospitalised or dying is the job of the vaccines to kind of just from stopping that from happening. But if you were a touring team, i.e. Pakistan or India, sort of semi-locked away, if you like, the country is raging with, with cases, there is the chance that a match could be stopped halfway through, they would be forgiven for doing what England did in South Africa and getting the hell out of Dodge. Yeah. And that, this, this for me is the key. You know, the reason England and Australia and, and the other financially or more financially secure countries, I should say, kind of have the have the luxury of being able to pick and choose where they want to stay and where they want to play. Whereas Pakistan are desperate for, for teams to go to Pakistan. So they won't, you know, they'll be put in a dilemma where they might decide to kind of use their players a little bit as, as, as not guinea pigs, not the right word. But, you know, say to their players, well, you know, we're going to have to take the chances on your safety because we need to make sure that there's a reciprocal series coming up later on. And that's a problem. The whole thing creates a massive, massive issue. Now, if, if England had been on tour in, um, if, if they should have been on the other foot and England had been on tour in Pakistan and the entire Pakistan team went down and they said, oh, we're going to have to replace the whole team, England would have gone. They'd be, be home by Done. now. Yeah. Over. Right? So, you know, th th this is this is... We're on very, very shaky ground here, I feel, because it only takes another, another issue to happen. It only takes another huge spike. It only takes for one of the, Pakistan, the members of the Pakistan touring um, team to get, to get COVID. Three or four of them go down. They can't replace the whole team, and the whole thing's over. Um, I don't blame, there's no blame attached to any of this stuff, but the reality of it is, is that cases are going up. The restrictions or the, um, the, the, the safeguards that were in place last year are no longer in place. And so you're going to end up with people getting, getting COVID. And that's, that's the reality of it. The, 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 Gu the Guardian have crunched the numbers and looked at the data and uh, assessed the likelihood that it's going to be up to 10 million people are going to have to self-isolate in the, in the next six weeks, right? Now... <laughs> If, you, if, if those numbers are correct, or even broadly correct, that's one in six people in the UK, um, it's, it's highly likely that if we're talking just in our little, little pocket of the world, that a lot of so-called big cricket will be disrupted going down the line. You know, England have got away with this because of the depth of their talent pool and because of the fact that they are at home and they can call people up literally overnight. But 
Um, as Mark says, only, Pakistan but only that. because, yeah, only because Pakistan have not as yet said, "Whoa, hang on a sec, yeah, we're out of here." Sure, that's the sure. only reason. The rest and of it, the rest of it, kind of doesn't matter whether we can replace this, you know, whether one of the the new lot of the nine uncapped players, whether because they're coming in from bubbles that aren't secure too. You know, they've oh, been yeah, going back to their families and, and backwards back and forwards, playing for their ca- for their counties and things like that. So, you know, they're, they're coming from uns unsafe in inverted commas environments to go and join up with the England team whose bubble will be slightly stricter than the one that they've come from from Gloucestershire or wherever they've come from you know at, so, at some point you're gonna, you, can, you run out of players or at some point the opposition go hang on a second we're out of here yeah. we're not, we're, this, is not, this is not right you guys wouldn't be doing it if it was the, if it was the other way around and we're going to have to go yeah, Phil, what do you make of accusations of, of double standards? Ramiz Raja tweeted something along those lines yesterday. How close do you think Pakistan were, do you think, from going home? I can't say. I don't know. Um, they, I know that they're owed a huge debt by the ECB and I hope that it's repaid with uh, a touring team within the next 18, 18 months to Pakistan. Um, and I hope that the players as well recognise that there is... Uh, a spirit of altruism here that was evident last summer and and hopefully, fingers crossed, can continue through this summer. Um, I don't know how, how close they would have been. I, I can't say. Mark is absolutely right. The the double standards, the, the, the whip of hypocrisy is, is glaring. Now, the one caveat I would maybe add about the, the South Africa balls up back in November, October, November last year, is that uh, we didn't know as much and there was a understandable hysteria around it and and i can i can understand the the players desire to get out to get out and to get home last last winter but the problem is that that position that kind of ethical position uh it starts to look a wee bit flimsy when you consider now that the, as, as mark says the, you know the shoes on the other foot mm. um ben on the actual squad itself england picked six players who've never played for England before in any format, nine who've not played ODI cricket. Um, what are the names that leap out for you? Oh, I mean, what, what names don't leap out? <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's as I said at the beginning, I mean, we were all sort of saying, why can't England pick a few new players? Why can't it be a bit more exciting? Do they need to sort of test themselves a bit more? Well, like... <laughs> Spare thought for George Garton. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, who's, uh, I mean, Will Jacks is, uh, is the one that's sort of, in the blast look he looks sort of I mean it's you know it's not like he's getting runs week after week but when he's on form he sort of hits it as cleanly as anyone in the in the country basically I'm I'm intrigued by the prospect of Zach Crawley in ODI cricket it's you wonder if he might well be at some point a very good all-format player for England but if right now his game is best suited to white ball cricket where he can sort of hit through the line where he doesn't have to sort of dig in through those sort of really tough periods where he can uh, yeah, just sort of play a bit freely. Um, and I think it might be worth a discussion. I don't know, maybe, maybe wait until we see how he does. But if, if he were to get runs in this series, I wonder if that would impact his prospect of keeping his place for that India series or not. I think I would be tempted, hypothetically, if he were to get a score and sort of look back to his sort of fluent self to give him just one more game to see if that's the thing that has sort of ticked him into being the player he was last summer because he at his best will be a, a, a weapon in Australia in particular where the ball doesn't move around as much um, and England should be kind of doing I think almost whatever they can and that would be a sort of a, a, an understandable sort of a sacrifice in a way to their chances against India where you might have a player who was slightly more likely to get runs or face a few more balls against India but if Zach Crawley can do that and then uh, be back in form to play Australia that would be huge I think so mm. yeah um on the ODI squad, though. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> um, there will be some players in that group who a lot of fans actually might not have heard of or heard much about. So, well, you got more Twitter followers than David Payne, don't you, Yes. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, Bright, Bride and Cast, David Payne, John Simpson are probably the three that fans might not have, have not been that close to England squads. Well, Bri- in the Bride and Cast has got genuine pace. Mm. Saw him up Durham at Durham. Quick. Yeah. yeah, he's you know very very handy. Get the ball through. Bowls a decent Yorker at the death. Um, you know, he's very highly thought of up there. Um, he played a bit for the Lions as well. Did well in Australia last. Yeah, uh, yeah. Months, I mean, he's kind of, you know, he's got that sort of that strength of, 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 of action and ability to kind of make a ball leap out of a of a flatish surface that's very handy with a with a kookaburra ball in, in Aussie conditions. So that's that's good. Um, 
I mean, beyond that, so recalls, sort of recalls to England rather than recalls for one day internationals for, for guys like, um, you know, Ben Duckett, who gets a, gets a chance to, to kind of um, put his name back up there as being one of the more talented players knocking around. Um, Matt Parkinson, I mean, you know, I thought, I mean, the whole George Garton thing not playing, it was very interesting. The, uh, the, the pre-match interview that um, Owen Morgan gave with, with Rob Key in the last... ODI against Sri Lanka where he saw he was asked about sort of not putting in George Garton with the with the series you know one and although of course every match is every match is worth 10 points which is another reason where Pakistan might not be keen to go home just quietly they might think to themselves you know what we can pick up three super cup points here and then hightail it out of here but anyway that's another that's another story um you know George Garton not getting a game Owen Morgan said you know, we we kind of we want to have these guys around the squad a little bit more, which they do. Absolutely, that's he's absolutely consistent. Like to have them around, see what see how they're getting on, see how they blend in before they throw them in. Said, and we like to give them a softer entry um, into the you know into the into the team as we possibly can. And I'm kind of like standing there <laughs> waiting to do the top of the show going, well, I mean, it doesn't get much softer than this right now. You know, <laughs> Sri, Sri, Lanka, Sri Lanka at home um, with all their batting woes. They didn't play him. And of course, now that's it. He's, he's, he's out of the reckoning for, for these ones, which is a shame for him. Um, and Tom Banton as well, just a line yeah, on him. I mean, how's I your luck? How's your luck? You I know. Pulled out the BBL just, citing, you know, fatigue, yeah. bubble fatigue, um, you, you know, mental strain, understandably so. Pulled out of that. Couldn't buy a run for a couple of months. Yeah. Made a brilliant like forty-seven ball hundred or whatever on the telly. Back in the mix, and then what? Forty-eight hours play. later, he's, he's, he's you know he's yeah. got to self-isolate yeah. again and kicking his heels, not playing hell. any cricket. You know, and that form could just disappear down the drain once again. So I mean, you know, it's a Brutal. real shame. Phil Salt. I mean, he's another another guy who I think has improved quite a lot. I mean, he was he was very much a leg-sided dasher the first first time I saw him two or three seasons ago. Um, his game has improved no no end, and he's still got that sort of you know real sort of sparky um, stroke play at the top of the order. So he's another one who could impress for people who perhaps aren't you know who aren't followers of Sussex. You don't recognise um, or you know don't recognise his name straight off the bat. Uh, um, another than that, Saul, Saul's his coach at Sussex. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he he would say this, but he said he's one of the most talented players he's ever ever seen. Mm. Phil Salt as a ball striker, as Mark says, you know mm. he's a bit rough around the edges, but. Yeah. He'll be very watchable if he gets in. Tom Helm, people have spoken about as well in the last two or three. So I think he's perhaps gone off the boil a little bit or people have kind of sussed him out a touch white ball wise. I mean, and, and he, you know, his, his performances this year kind of disappear into the, into the mire of, of Middlesex's woeful seasons. It's a bit difficult to judge him on, the, on this season as opposed to the ones that have gone before. See somebody else who's decent. I can't, I can't see too many of them though. You know, with the exception of, of names like Milan, who's already in and around, Saqib Mahmood, who's already been in and around, guys who are kind of going to do well in this series and keep out the regulars. Not many. Parkinson's probably, you know, is, the, is another guy who, given, uh, you know, given an injury to Adil Rashid, England need that. They wanna re- they'd want to replace a, a middle-over wicket-taking leg spinner with a middle-over wicket-taking leg spinner. Um, as, as part of their sort of remit for, for success in 50-over cricket. So, um, you know, him getting the chance to play three games is, is excellent for him and excellent for England too. Mm. Ben? Yeah, we, we, we were asked, I think, on Twitter about who are the players who could sort of force themselves into the reckoning. Obviously, England have a, a very settled, especially batting lineup. I think the, the bowling attack in T20 cricket is slightly more sort of fluid at the moment. So that would be the place where someone like a, a Bryden Cast as, as a keeper mood could sort of put their hand up and forced their way out the pecking order a bit. I mean, Morgan even, I think he name-checked Tamal Mills in a press conference a while ago, saying that that's the kind of player he'd be looking out for in the 100 to uh, see if they can make a break. But this is as good a chance as that. But yeah, I think Phil Salt is the one they, I mean, you know, it's one of those buzzwords, isn't it? That, that intent that they talk about uh, just being fearless and sort of attacking from ball one that is so important to England in, uh, in ODI cricket. And he's one, I mean, he maybe should have been selected for that Ireland series last year. He made a brilliant 100 in the warm-ups against a pretty full-strength Ireland side. Uh, and if there were to be a player, especially if, but basically, he, he looks like the heir to uh, Bairstow and Roy from what he's done in, in county cricket so far. And this is a chance to see if he can do it in international cricket. And then at some point further down the line, if one of them loses a bit of form or needs a rest or whatever it may be, um, he's one, I think, that could uh, really press his claims in this series, I think. Um, just just to add 
you mentioned Ben Duckett, 69 not out in a in a first class game and then, and then whipped out. <laughs> yeah, Hart midway through it. I mean, counties are conditioned to this, you know, and I think they know their place in the overall scheme of things. And obviously, we are living in particularly surreal times anyway. But the, what's happened here, unprecedented as it is, again, we touched on it last week. Talk about the kink in the schedules. So Daniel Lawrence now won't play a Red Bull game between from the the time he nicked off defending to extra cover at Edgbaston in what early June, early June, early to mid June, to the first first week in August. So seven weeks, no Red Bull cricket at all. Won't hit a Red Bull if then, even if selected. You know. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, if selected, yeah. Um, uh, and it just just goes to show. I mean, you know, this is this is a ludicrous situation where England's potential number five six. Won't it a red ball in anger for two months going into a marquee test series? Look, we talk, talked about it. We know it's ridiculous, but this has really, really drawn it into focus. At least he'd have had a game on Sunday, a red ball game under normal circumstances, but no. Well, I mean, Zach Crawley as well, to that, for that matter. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, I, I guess, yeah, yeah, he won't feature either. Yeah. Not, not that it's helped the guys who are, who are <laughs> yes, in the sum total of about seven runs between them in the, in the last if round. That, yeah, if we, that, should, should, we should come to that. Yeah, we? we will. Um, Giles actually uh, made a point to thank the directors of cricket across the country for how um, supportive they were of of the last minute I was actually interviewing Neil Colleen at Durham, the Durham coach, the morning that it was all going (laughs) off. And the conversation changed tone very, very quickly. (laughs) He was really chipper. Yeah, and we've got about four sessions and try and bowl him out the final day to... ah. uh, I'm going to have to go um, <laughs> and you can just hear this chaos in the background what's happened of course obviously Stokes is being whipped out the firing line and yeah. thrown back down what, the M1 what, what, what do you think it would have been like for Giles Giles kind of intimated he didn't get a whole lot of sleep um, Chris Hillwood's had to cancel his holiday um, he was going to into back. Norfolk when he on yeah, the boards exactly exactly uh, brutal what, what, what do you think that 12 hour period would have been like for England and also how do you actually go about picking entirely Second string side. Been, I get that, that must have been fun. But I, but picking, I get, picking an entirely new squad. But, but that I, must I, I get that, you know, the Ben Duckett, Dan Milan, James Vinces, yeah, they played for England recently. But, you know, how, how do you know who your 12th best seamer well, is? Well, I mean, that's, that's why he's the supremo <laughs> of everything, Chris Silverwood. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing <laughs> the, situ- the conversation would have gone something like this. You know what? I've had enough of being chief of selectors. <laughs> we, need, we need to give that job back to somebody else who does that and does that on its own. Well, um, it's, it's harder than it looks, isn't well, it? Well, <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't know. I mean, there are some there are some people, obviously, who didn't make it that we haven't mentioned. Obviously, Alex Howes doesn't get into the third team. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which tells you all you need to know about how, cl- how close he is to being rehabilitated into the squad, which is uh, nowhere. Uh, Can I ask you on that? Mark? Yeah, go Can on. I just ask you on, yeah, on yeah. the Hales thing? I don't know if we've done, done it that much. Um, you've been inside dressing rooms. Do you do you understand where Morgan's coming from in terms Listen, of the team dynamic? All I will say to you is this: that there is that there is more than is known about all of this. That's all. That's all. I, and I kind of have an inkling of what it is. I'm not going to. I'm not going to say on this. It's not my place. But his his omission is is clearly not nothing to do with how good a player he is. It's clearly not just to do with failed drug tests on the eve of World Cups, which when you say it out loud, you go, Jesus Christ, did he really do that? Yes, he did. Mm. Um, but there may, be, there may be one or two other things in there as well, for, for which he, he may never be forgiven, I think. Um, and, and, that's, and that's all you're getting. Fair enough. I, I would, on Hales, I mean, I, I can sort of see how this, this feels strange that he doesn't make a, a, second stream, a, str- a second string team in England and, you know, in dire need, basically. But I, I don't think his non-selection for this actually, I mean, it might well be that he never plays for England again, that's already decided and they just haven't said it kind of thing. But I don't think his non-selection for this exactly makes much odds one way or the other. I think that actually picking Alex Hale, like when everything is already chaos and uh, there's already like, you know, there's going to be questions asked of the ECB over their bicycle protocols about how seriously they're taking this whole thing about, you know, so many other things. To introduce the extra thing of like, you know, <laughs> one of your two senior players being Alex Hale's uh, and, and and having that whole extra other news story when already you're sort of ben fighting Stokes fire, captain. Yeah. That, that, that's 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 pouring oil onto the whole thing. I think so. I, I can I can see why even if you think. Well, yeah, I, know, like, I get that, but but these are not as I, as I alluded not, to before. Games, these yeah, are not true. insignificant matches. You know, there are there are there are points involved in them and qualification for World Cups involved in them. So it's, they're not. You know, you'd still, given that you're having to literally put nine uncapped players in your squad, you'd want to have some people that you that you might be able to guarantee some some performance hours out of. So I would be I'd be less normally I'd agree with you, but I don't. Sam Hain. I was about to say he, Sam Hain. A lot of people have been asking about him, but I 
he's got the highest list A average of all time, of course. But I kind of see why he's not been picked because you go through that top six, there's likely to play. And he, like, d- he does not play in the way that that Owen Morgan wants his top six to play. Well, there's kind of like one spot for the the root anchor role where an anchor who strikes at ninety. But there's mm. kind of like one spot for that in the tide. And Milan surely gets that. Milan's done well in ODI cricket. We talked said, said before on the show that ODI yeah. cricket might actually be his best format. Yeah. Um, and you can only really have space for one of them in the squad. So I kind of understand it. It's a ha- harsh on him. He's also not played List A game for two and, a half, two, two and a bit years like everyone. So it's quite hard to pick on List A form. Yeah. It was interesting you saying what, what would it have been like uh, in that sort of that Giles Silverwood sort of uh, <laughs> mind cave kind of thing is they were like, like desperately trying to think of uh, 18 county players. Uh, and because um, especially because there's already been the slight sense with some of Silverwood selections that he doesn't like, you know, he, he's not one of these sort of these money ball uh, looking at like the deep T20 stats types possibly that like he's kind of when he's looking to fill out a squad he's thinking like oh who who's sort of been in around squads recently oh Chris Wokes is he quite a good white ball bowler and he's like actually he hasn't played at all since 2015 but don't, don't that stop you and, he, and obviously he, he is very good I'm not saying that was the wrong thing to do but that's just what the sense of those selections is and then you almost wonder if there was a stage at like uh you know midday on that day when people are sort of asking like Where's this guy in the squad? And where's this guy in the squad? And they, if they ever just like sort of hit their heads and go, "Oh balls! How <laughs> how did we forget about Alex Davies of Lancashire?" He's a, like, uh, we, we, it's a, yeah, it was a, would, would be great. And I'd love I'd love to read uh, or or see if only they were doing a fly on the wall documentary this year. That would be a. Uh, an incredible episode of TV. But also, this is this, this will be the most likely instance of someone genuinely thinking it was a prank when they got a phone call from Chris Offwood. Ben, the, the, these games form part of the ODI World Cup Super League that determine World Cup qualification. If England lose this, are they in, it? Are they in any danger of not qualifying automatically? Uh, well, it, it, in that, you know, they could. I mean, they've, they've got a series against the Netherlands, which I guess they'll hope to clean sweep, but you never know if there could be rain to play a part and they have lost to the Netherlands in, in the past. So yeah, England aren't guaranteed. And uh, I think that there could be a danger if they lose this one 3-0. But I, again, I, it's, it's hard to know how much this is. I mean, I don't think it's playing a huge amount in fans thinking, judging from the Sri Lanka series, how, you know, that wasn't at all a factor, I think, in most people thinking that England should rotate or not. People like, you know, pick some new players and hopefully we'll win it anyway. But I mean, that was, that was it's, the interesting thing with that was it was like pick one player. You know, people talking about this like, you know, I remember we had the conversation on the TV, Athers and I. You know, we, we sort of met, went into the context of it, you know, the, the softness of the game, you know, that, that Owen Morgan already mentioned. Um, you know, the fact that, that it would have been, you know, the perfect time to, to give a young lad like George Garton a debut in a, series, a game and a match that you're un- very, very much unlikely to lose. But kind of, we got hit by torrents of people going, well, you know, you can't just hand out one day international caps like confetti and all this kind of stuff. Like, mate, we're talking about one player. And we also were being quite honest about it and saying, you know, it's in the media and, and all media is like this. You kind of like having a new story to talk about every once in a while. Um, however, that wasn't the only consideration for, for, for playing somebody like Garten. And now, of course, two weeks later, there is going to be an entirely new team um, being played. Uh, in circumstances whereby the, the points actually matter. And we did bring up the point situation in the, uh, on the broadcast simply because, you know, it's kind of... Until you get down to the very end, as it was with the World Test Championship, most people aren't, aren't paying any attention to it whatsoever. So, you know, we put the table up, England away out in front. Um, Sri Lanka in dire, dire trouble of not, of not qualifying, or at least not qualifying by, uh, uh, by right. Um, and so, you know, it, it kind of matters, or at least it will matter further down the line somewhere. It was one of the most depressing uh, limited over series I think I've ever seen, that Sri Lanka run. It was, it was horrific. You know, one of the all-time bad tours as well, obviously with the three lads uh, breaking the bubble and going home. Uh, but for England kept winning the toss and bowling first. And you could just sense the energy in the crowd just be sucked out of them before even a ball is bowled because you know they're going to be 30 for four. Uh, <laughs> and there is no stopping them being 30 for but four. What was, what was even worse, and though, it was, was agony. England... Uh, still were really bad at taking middle over wickets. So they'd get them four down God, in the power play. Judge. No, <laughs> but they get, but this is contrary to why the games were so boring almost because the games took so long to reach their conclusion. So England would get them four the down. Exactly. Five minutes. minutes. Yeah. So England would get them four down in the power play, struggle to get them all out whilst Sri Lanka kind of pod around going at three and a half, I, I four do, and over. I do wonder though. I mean, that's, that, that's, that was going to be my counter to the sort of like saying that they're not great at taking middle over wickets was when a team 
basically goes into sort of four-day mode to try and rescue being four or five down in the middle, yeah. it then becomes it become with a, you know it becomes more difficult to prize them out. And so you know middle over wickets fall in matches where teams are trying to push on at sixes, sevens, eights, nines, yeah. but they're unlikely to fall when people are happy to pat it around at twos, you know what I mean? It, it kind of becomes, there's a stalemate there, whereas where the, where the team bowling are totally in control of what's going on, they're not getting hurt, they don't have to kind of, you know, run in and try and knock you over with seven slips in the gully, because that's not the game, is it? Yeah, you know? that's fair. So, that fair. so that's what happens. So you end up batting out the overs for 230, then you smash them off with 15 overs to go, and everyone goes home. Mm. Early. Forgets, forgets about it yeah. in minutes, <laughs> yeah. seconds. Phil, question for you. When England didn't, go for the run chase at Lords and test match against New Zealand some people said that England weren't reading the room etc you got fans back entertain etc do you think you could kind of make the same accusation to, to Morgan with the tosses you know you have crowds back for the first time big crowds back for the first time in ages it's been a difficult year and you choose to win the bowl first every time I can understand the comparison but I think the context is very different and and Morgan Morgan doesn't owe the fans anything really uh, and from a spectacle perspective, for sure, you know, and there is, there is that frustration when the, the coin goes up and you know he's going to say, you know, we're going to bowl first and be going by half past four. There is a frustration there. And yeah, sure, the crowd are looking forward to seeing England bat 50 overs and hit 350. Um, but Morgan, Morgan runs the show uh, with absolute authority and, and he's not in the business of... Of playing to the gallery. Do you gallery. know what makes me laugh? Is that people people quite sort of like with with absolute sort of um, with absolute sort of you know, open open eyes were sort of saying to me, well, you know, maybe, maybe why didn't they just have a bat first under leaden skies in conditions that screamed bowl first? That the same people that were having a go saying, well, you can't just give any old person a cap. You know, you're you're, you're basically replacing good players with good players. Maybe one change in the side. Don't do that. That's disrespecting the game. But batting first when you absolutely should bowl first is something that they should do just for a laugh. I mean, yeah. come on, people. Yeah. What, what is this nonsense? Yeah, but what we saw at Lords... Your job is on to the, win the match. ...on that was a embarrassing lack of personality, I thought, towards on that, that final day. And it was such a, a timorous refusal to, 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 to live a little. Uh, and in that respect, I thought the criticisms were fair. And I felt it myself when I was at, at that game at the time. I was... Really surprised to see see the complete absence of intent. Um, but in this instance, no, you know, they, they, they have a job to do, and they also had a football match to watch as well. And no question, <laughs> no question, one of those decisions was right. We have got to get this done, and we got to got to get this done quick because it's kicking off at five. I loved that. No be- question. Be- best it was probably on like the fastest half century by an Englishman ever as well. Um, it's not been confirmed yet at the time of recording, but there are reports in Sri Lanka that Kusal Pereira has been removed as their limited overs captain, which I think is a bit harsh, but that's based on that. that I, I bet Kusal Pereira is jumping up and down going, you beauty. <laughs> captain, wicketkeeper and, and opening batsman of that team. Yeah, it's all right. I'll, I'll lose one of those jobs, thanks. You, you were saying, yes, that Banuka Rajapaksa was both uh, banned for a year, suspended uh, for two years, and recalled to the side in the same press release. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's two paragraphs. One saying he's been banned for a year, but suspended. Uh, and second paragraph is, but he's been called up to the latest squad, <laughs> which is quite funny. Um, just after we recorded last week's show, India women beat England in the final game of that ODI series. Mithali Raj scored 75 not out in, the, in a last over win. Uh, Raj returns to the top of the ODI batting rankings for the first time in 16 years. Um, I guess when England don't get 250, it's the perfect perfect way to bat. <laughs> well, I was the, the, the first time India had the chance to, to chase... Um, and she what she made four four half centuries made four half centuries on the bounce now, uh, Mitali Raj, and uh, England lost their nerve a little bit twice in the game I think. Um, the first time was when they were batting Amy Jones and um, Nat Siver, although only going along at sort of four and a half fives. Pitch was very very slow, and they kind of they had it all under control. They just needed to make sure that they got themselves to within five overs of the end before they tried to kind of break the shackles. Had they done that, they'd have made two forty and they'd have won the game easy. No, no danger at all. So they lost their nerve there, went, went too soon for the finish and ended up falling well short. And then they lost the nerve at the back end in the defence. You know, they ended up with, with three overs left of um, uh, Sarah Glenn. Um, Heather Knight had gone at sort of three and a bit, bowling her part-time office. And, and, and Heather basically threw the ball to the seamers, so Nat Siver and, and um, Catherine Brunt. 
for the last five or six overs, who both, you know, and, and sort of Mitali Raj played really, really nicely, actually. She kind of bopped a couple over the top and kind of the, the Snow Rana was able to knock the ball around and get it off, get it off the square. And, and you know, they, the run rate had only gone up to sevens, but that was the highest it had been at any point in the game. Um, and the pace on the ball meant that they got home quite comfortably in the end. Um, and so, you know, I gave, I gave Mitali Raj the chance to kind of to have a pop back at the detractors for her... For her 63 um, strike rate for the series. And to be fair to her, she didn't take it. Actually. She sort of said, you know, I, I knew I needed to be there at the end. And if I did, we'd, we'd win the game. So, But, you know, England, I think England should have won it, honestly. Um, and I think they kind of just tactically got it, tactically got it wrong twice and allowed uh, India to get home. It's been a positive story, though, uh, the, the tour so far. Um, six each? Six four? Three T20s left, and you know the game, and it's still the series is still on the line. Yeah, it's been good, and, and, and probably India's best format as well, T20s. Yeah, indeed, and, and and you know it's a brilliant format that Claire Connor came up with a few years back. You know, to to link the three formats together, and it works uh, in this in this respect. And obviously, there's some some serious players to watch as well. You know, India are a very watchable side, and and England are emerging. A word on Sophia Dunkley; she's got her own way of doing it. She's got quite a kind of idiosyncratic way of doing it. Hands quite separate on the on the bat handle, but that actually helps her manoeuvre the ball into funny areas. And she's got a really clean strike on her as well. And she's I like got, her. I like her a lot. A proper strut in the field as well. She does. Yeah, yeah. she's got she's got a bit of bit of sass. <laughs> she's she's great. I, she reminds me a bit of Clive Lloyd, but that, you know, there will be only be a few people listening to the pod who can remember what the cat looked like when he walked around the, the outfield. Yeah, I generally can't think of the last England batter to look. As, as at home as quickly as she has in international cricket I mean I bet you can't remember the last time they gave one a debut I mean it's yeah, not, well, yeah, that, that is it's true. not been yeah. there's not been a great deal of um, of new faces in and around that uh, that top six for a long time so yeah. on, on the format as in the format of this uh, this tour this probably isn't the time to do it but I would be interested in a serious discussion about that being replicated across women's cricket as a whole as a way to get more countries playing test cricket and possibly have it be in some sort of fully integrated uh, league. I think it is a, a really good way for a, a tour to unfold and uh, I can see it working. In that. And if if, it, if 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 that means that, team, that women's teams are playing, you know, four test matches a year, say that's obviously a huge uplift on what they are at the moment, but it's also not so much and it's tied into everything else, I think. So I, I could see that working possibly, but I, say, I haven't thought through the details, but I would be interested to see a discussion about that. Before we move on with the rest of the show, a plug for a few dinners that might be of interest to you. To celebrate the 40-year anniversary of Botham's Ashes, the Sporting Club are running four dinners over the course of the summer. The first one is at Edgebaston on August the 5th. All surviving members of the famous 1981 England team that won the epic fourth test against Australia, including Botham, Boycott, Gower, Gooch, Gatting and Captain Mike Brealey, will be in the room to recall another amazing victory snatched from the jaws of defeat, which saw Ian Botham take five wickets for one run in 11 balls. The second dinner is at Old Trafford on August the 19th. The fifth test win will be celebrated at Old Trafford, featuring almost all of the England players involved. This was where Ian Botham smashed 118 off 102 balls to many, an innings that surpassed his 149 at Headingley, and Bob Willis did much of the rest. The other two events are at the Oval, to book tickets, head to thesportingclub.co forward slash events. Anyway, on with the rest of the show. Some news about the 100. A number of big name overseas players have pulled out this week. Aaron Finch, Nicholas Puran, Shaheen Afridi, Alyssa Healy, Meg Lanning and a few more. Um, they pulled out citing either clashes with international commitments or complications relating to the schedule. Um, the South African trio of Faf Plessis, Imran Tahir and Lungi Ngidi have been signed up as replacements for the men. Uh, well, Shabnim, Ismail and Laura Wolfart have joined the women's competition. Uh, the wild cards have been picked as well. The eight are Ben Rain, Jordan Cox, Sam Cook, Jake Lintett, Fred Clarson, Blake Cullen, Laos Deploy and Dylan Pennington. Uh, mostly quite a young group of players. Some exciting names there. We talked about a few of them last week. Ben Safka beat West Indies in the, in the final T20I um, of that series to take the series 3-2. Slightly su- surprising result. Yeah, uh, a couple of things to work on for West Indies. What wasn't a high-scoring one? Uh, pitches possibly, maybe similar to what they'd be like in the UAE. I don't know. I I watched a bit of the series, but I really enjoyed following it and got more into it as it went on. And actually, I think when you get a T20 series between two closely matched teams, 
uh, actually five matches is the right amount. I think you do get storylines coming and going like you got between England and India earlier this year. If the England Sri Lanka series had been a uh, uh, five t twenties long, I think I'd have uh, I'd have probably resigned on the spot. Um, <laughs> just imagine having to having to do that while uh, while England are playing in the semis or something would just be. A <laughs> uh, but no, yeah, I thought I thought it was really good, and and actually, uh, yeah. So so what what is there to take away from it? I thought the form of Bavuma was interesting in that he struggled, and it seems like it's not really his best format, and they also don't really know how to fit him into the team. I can see why they like him as a captain. I think he's a calm head. Uh, there were some questionable captaincy decisions. He was sort of, they were trying to make Aiden Markham an all-rounder, which didn't really work, especially when some of the West Indies players are such brilliant uh, hitters of spin. And he was bowling Reza Hendricks in the first over a couple of times and it was not a, a strategy that was working. But I can see why there's there's captaincy stuff to work with there. And in ODIs, he's obviously that Joe Root, Babra's AMS-esque accumulator that really fits in that team. In T20 cricket, it's less clear what his role is going to be. Uh, He's a, he's, a, he's a good player of spin, so I can see it working in the middle over. They were trying him as an opener, which was meaning that Aidan Markham was having to to sit out and not open, and that was a bit... That that, that felt odd. That, that Markham, feels like Markham's natural position. And Markham came back in, scored runs. Yeah, and, and he'd hit three fifties in a row, I think, against Pakistan before this series. So that, that'll be... I think that's almost the main question for South Africa is how... I mean, Bavuma is going to be their captain for a while yet, you'd think. Um, but how does he actually fit into that team as a as a batsman? And can he improve as a captain sort of tactically if not as sort of a leader of men which I think he will have nailed down because that, that's the other thing I mean you know you can be beaten by West Indies before you get on the park especially after that first game when West Indies just absolutely strolled it Evan Lewis played a brilliant innings that can be the kind of thing that sort of you know the the, 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 the series is over then and for that for South for Africa to come back just as a, as a as a unit I guess to uh, to regroup and then uh, win three of the next four is very very impressive and that and Bavuma does deserve credit for that for that that was quite interesting and then well, I was going to say, West Indies are a lot of people's favourites or right up there with the favourites. And I remember we did a um, T20 World Cup preview show a, almost exactly a year before the, the tournament was set to begin. And we're going through it and South Africa's 11 looks very strong and the performance of George Linder and Tabrez Shamsi was very encouraging. They, they did really, really well. Their combined numbers of, of, over the course of the series were, were, were crazy. Yeah, well, when you said it, Imran Tahir is not technically retired as far as we can tell from international cricket and can't, can't get a look in. I mean, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see if he does tear up the 100 now that he's there as an overseas player what effect that could have but yeah to, to break Shamsi is obviously left arm has been, been around for a while but does look now like he's almost settled into that that role as the uh, the attack leader as a spinner um, which uh, yeah so, so yeah they they, 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 they they will cause a few teams worries and they're in England's group I think I'm right in saying so yeah yeah they want to watch and yeah West Indies I mean they just have a couple things to figure out like there was Hetemai was originally not in the squad and then even when he wasn't in the squad was somehow picked for the third game of the series and played all from then on. They've, they've tried Gale at number three, which has worked for some T20 teams in franchise leagues, but hasn't worked so far in international cricket. Uh, so they've got a few little things to work on West Indies. I think they'll still feel that if they can sort of, you know, get the band back together for the, the tournament, that they'll uh, be pr- probably just about justify that favourites tag. But yeah, it's uh, shaping up to be a good T20 World Cup, I would say. Ed, Evan, Evan Lewis has been opening in the, in the T20s, you know, big sort of muscular Southport and... He does, uh, he does, and he's been he's been hitting them well. Um, probably their batsman of the of the, the five match series, and yeah, I mean, if if he's if Gale has had to be shunted down to first drop, then you know, obviously Lewis is is doing the business, and yeah, look, this is how they play, as we know. You know, they don't run singles; they hit it out of the park, uh, and that's why they're the most dangerous T Twenty side in the world. Mm. You, you do feel that surely Gale will go back up to the top of the order once the World Cup actually comes around, though, right? Like it was, it, I just it, think it's, it's marvelous that he's still there. I really yeah. do. You know, it always, my, I always raise an eyebrow whenever I see him on a team sheet because you never quite know from one week to the next whether he's up for it. But yeah, as as Ben says, you know, they did it in the IPL relatively successfully. He, he was at three uh, for for the Kings eleven, and and um, yeah, maybe he'll stay there. I'm just delighted that he's there at all. As I say, made his international debut in 1999. 22 years ago it's very long how old was Jude Bellingham then Not, uh, minus six <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, he's, uh, he's, he's even bowling a bit again now yeah. uh, which is uh, amazing that he can still sort of get his arm over uh, yeah, yeah you, I always forget 100 test matches couple of triple hundreds average 40 in the batting as well you do it all um, county championship James Anderson he's quite good he passed a thousand first class wickets um, as he took career best figures 
of seven for 19 against Kent at Old Trafford. Um, ben, you had a good stat about his battle with Darren Stevens and the rest of the Kent team. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So Darren Stevens hit him for something like 14 off eight balls and uh, obviously didn't get out. And against the rest of the Kent team, he took uh, f- uh, seven. seven for five or 55 balls. So it's, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, only, the, only the double vax were doing, uh, were, were doing it there. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, and, and obviously, I mean, you, I mean, obviously, Zach Crawley has now got an England call up, so we won't see what the, the rest of that game or the next game would have done for him. Uh, but you just felt like after, you know, after really, really struggling for the, the whole year in Test cricket, basically, and then uh, playing some white ball stuff and doing pretty well, but obviously, you're, you're sort of that further out of your mind to then, you know, <laughs> cloudy skies, can't win the toss and choose to bat after a day, uh, day and a half of rain as yeah. well, <laughs> and then you walk out with James Anderson there. Just uh, at his absolute peak and just like it was completely fresh. All yes. sorts yeah. as well. I saw saw the highlights, uh, and he's, he's done well to nick it. Zach, <laughs> yes, to be fair, yes, he's done he very very well. He must be in form. There were quite, <laughs> quite a few balls that the, the batsman did pretty well to, to, to nick it. It was the the, um, the, the, the Jordan Cox ball. I think that was the second wicket that was just absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> sort of so the one that sort of starts like it's looking, looking like it's going to take legs something, just starts curving and then hits the pitch and then curves a little bit more and then takes the edge and it's like yeah, well that's. There is literally nothing you can do. That's not sadness, but there's a poignancy to the thousand wickets. Um, can't see anyone ever doing that again. We we were looking at it the other day. Reckon your boy Harmer's going to do it. Right. He's okay. six, 680. He's 32. Okay. Yeah. I, I think he's going to play enough cricket to be able to get there or thereabouts. Um, yeah, but we're looking. So, at- so well, I'm thinking. No, hang on a sec. What's that, what does he play? In, does he play in the winters? He, so he on can that, again now. on that, I interviewed him last week. He is playing first class cricket in South Africa from October, and is very, very keen to see if the selectors want to have that conversation. As of now, they've not had any conversation at all. There's been no contact whatsoever. So he could. I mean, he could say, say for example, say, say we we put him down for sixty. A season for for Essex, right? That's I mean that's reasonable, isn't it? But, but below par for him. Well, but just as an average, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. So what's that? How many seasons? How many it's seasons of sixties? Six. You got to go six yeah. seasons. That's just playing in in England. So if he plays in South Africa, say so you put him down for another forty. Yeah. So a hundred a year. Yeah, he'd do it easy. Yeah. yeah. Tim, Tim Murt has also stated his intentions to get to the landmark. <laughs> there was sort of I think someone said James Anson uh, the, the last. It, has got to a thousand and probably be the last to ever get there. And Tim Merce just replied and just being like, challenge accepted, basically. He is the, <laughs> he's the current closest, I think, but obviously age is, I mean, well, age isn't on his side, but if you look at, you know, some other bowlers, uh, they can go well on. What's, what's he on? Eight forty, eight sixty, somewhere around there. So and he only really plays, well, he only plays Middlesex now and is, and is an overseas there. So he'd uh, need, um, what, like, a, need to go for three or four years, I guess. Which is tough, tough, tough yeah. but you know, I think but he could, he could, he could probably be bowling in no. um, Irish, Irish first class cricket. That, that's well true. into his forties. Yeah, he, cause he, he, he's, he's not going to do that, is he? No, <laughs> probably not. <laughs> no. Uproot the family. You just see him get to the thousand. Like, yeah, well done, well done, excellent. Uproot the family from London. So I've got, I've got, I've got Jimmy to catch. <laughs> so. But but your your broad point is is is. Still true though. It's uh, it, it's yeah, unlikely they, that you know a next English person to get there is, is possibly hasn't been born yet. Yeah, and you know as we know the game has moved on, priorities have changed, and so he is the last of his kind. And also the the first the end of the line. As well, I think he's is he, it might be the first fast bowler in the twenty first century. So it does just emphasize again that his longevity has been like unprecedented in modern times and ridiculous. That it's uh, that this this isn't at all normal. Basically, the first first class wicket. Do you know who it was? Him? Ian Ward. Was it? Yeah. There you go. Yeah. What was that, 2003? Two. 2002. You might have been playing that game. I probably wasn't playing. Okay. I don't think, I'm, not, I'm not sure I ever played against Jimmy in a, in a first-class game. Because he was playing for Burnley that summer, wasn't really? he? Really? He was playing for Burnley, summer of t- 2002, broke into Lanks team towards the end of the season and then was on the one-day tour to Australia that, that winter, the, the 023 tour. Um and he, I think maybe maybe not his debut, but I think maybe his second or third game, he bowled ten overs for about thirty. Yeah, so in Australia, in Australia, yeah. So when Wokes had that really economical spelling no in Sri Lanka, because Glenn Chapel always used to get me out. We <laughs> 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 
angle across yet. Well, the, um, Nick, when, Nick when Wokes took five maidens against Sri Lanka, that was the first time an England bowler had taken five maidens in ODI since Anderson on that tour as a 20-year-old. Really? Was yeah. it Adelaide? I think so. I remember it being extremely hot. I think it might mm. have been Adelaide. <laughs> it's always hot, though. Okay. Mm. Um, but you, you, you kind of alluded to it earlier. Not a great round of games if you're an England opener or number three. I think uh, Burns... Sibley and Crawley got one run between the four of them. <laughs> two, two runs, two, I think. Two yeah. runs, yeah. okay. Two compelling, runs compelling case for um, the, uh, to open and, and, the first and, test and, against and India. And not a lot of cricket between now and then. Oh, well, they've got one, they've got one, two innings left, haven't they? Championship mm. cricket between now and then. Mm. Yeah, yeah, so Surrey, Surrey got away with it, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's, that's definitely the story that of the is, round. I mean, they ca- you, you haven't asked anybody for moments of the week yet. I don't think there, are, there is one. I think we should all just say, that is it. <laughs> Hashim Amla, a Surrey, <laughs> Surrey batting out an entire day for what? For less than 100. So, how, many the, they get? how many did they end up with? Uh, one, two, two for eight. 122 for eight. Marvellous. Off, off 104.5 over. So just going to read out some of the, some of the uh, scores from this game. Hashim Amla, 37 not out of 278. Excellent. Oh, that is, that is I, so sexy. Uh, but but I think I think this this is this is more amazing. Keith Barker, 22 overs, 17 maidens, three for nine. That's ridiculous. An economy rate of 0.4 after bowling for pretty much a whole session. I think it um, might have been Andrew Sampson that said that in innings where balls faced have been recorded, Amblers is the uh, the highest amount of balls faced for an innings of 40 or less. Oh, excellent. Uh, yeah, just just edging out Trevor Bailey's. Uh, 38 off 277, oh, I think. Barnacle, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but he's got this kind of serenity, is not he, to, to pull this off? And he's done it before. He's done it, he did it for South Africa. Well, yeah, th- this is, in a way, I mean, the Hashim Amla story, even though this was a brilliant innings, it is winding down, I think. Uh, oh, well, obviously, he's retiring to cricket. Is, this is most of the cricket he plays now is for Sari. And he has, he's been sort of he's the, the occasional very good, very big innings. But also there have been sort of signs of that, of, you know, the eyes and hands going a bit. But this kind of... Hasn't he strummed 200s at the Oval this year? Yeah, the Oval. Everyone gets runs at the Oval. You get runs here. Uh, um, but this this was almost a knock that was like, reminded you of what made that stuff inside so great because they, they just wouldn't get beaten at all. Uh, they, uh, I mean, the, it, that first great series when they had was against Australia. When both those games they won, they had... Or they, they were well behind the game. They chose 400 in the first and the second they were... 170 for seven, I think, replying to 300 and plenty. And then Stain and Dumini put on like a, a 150 run stand. So that was like almost like the first sign of that Graham Smith instilled bloody mindedness. And then they did it in Adelaide, obviously, when Fafty Bassi made his debut. And then even when they just lost that away unbeaten record of series that had stretched for like just under 10 years against India in 2016, I think. So they'd lost the first two or two of the first three on like on Bunsen's. And then the third one, they were... I think it was India declared just before lunch, I think on the fourth day, saying South Africa about 400 to win, had no chance to get there, but they almost drew it. That's right. It was 143 of 143.1 overs. Uh, Amla, I think, was 25 of 244. AB, 43 of 280 balls or something. And that that, that was basically what they did. They would just stick in games away from home for as long as possible. If they couldn't win it, they'd draw it. If they couldn't draw it, they would do their best to tire the opposition out and then they take their chance when they came basically and that's what made them so so brilliant and so like frustrating as an opposition to play against mm. I think so if you're a Hampshire fan it's Graham Smith's fault yeah basically okay. yeah good um, Hasib Amid 50 odd timely <laughs> timely not sorry look timely not 50, 57 opening the batting in the championship that's worth 130 when, what, which in, in is old why money. I was kind of giggling about him talking about Hashim Amla's eyes and eyes and hands going well I mean when when the the run scoring stocks of the country at an all-time low <laughs> I mean just how bad is everybody else if a bloke who has no hands and no eyes is scoring, <laughs> <laughs> scoring all the runs that Hamler is doing as I say sorry lads you guys are really bad <laughs> We made we made a really bad decision in the office. So we had uh, the laptop books that you all use it, the, the, the computer. We we normally have a county game on just in the background. Uh, we looked at the scorecards at the, at the start of the, the second session. We we're like, oh, Hamid's back. We'll, we'll watch that. But we, we um, did we did consider watching Anderson bowling. Oh yeah, we, we started watching Anderson because Anderson yeah, it's Anderson to Crawley. So look, we watched that. And then by the time we turned it on, Crawley was already out. We're like, okay, let, let's go to let's go to Hamid. And then uh, we see the wickets go. It's like, oh, Anderson will surely come off soon. You know. You know, they're not going to bowl him a long spell, and another wicket goes, another wicket goes, and we just missed the whole thing. <laughs> well, I, I, I was block it I was against watching, I was watching Hamid. Um, obviously, uh, I'm I'm all in pathetic kind of 
totally pathetic and superficial, but I'm all in. And he was brilliant, totally brilliant. Got a good one on 50-odd, but he set that, that win up for, for not all right. They're not playing a great side, it's fair to say. Uh, but timely, timely runs, again, has to be a part of the conversation. Yeah, well, we called him up, called him up early doors. Didn't we? One of the first ones of these I did, saying, "Yep, he's got a great, great chance. I think he's very talented, and you know, has has the goods really if he can turn turn that into into some tangibles of of making runs on a consistent basis. And he's done that. Well, again, you 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 line that up against the the run scoring feats of the rest of the country, and he's going pretty damn well. Um, but what? Hang, hang. What did, so the Surrey thing was extraordinary, right? But the the rounds that we've got coming up in the next in the next uh, when is that last round of the Sunday. county championships? To start Sunday, right? So you got Somerset play Surrey at the Oval, and Hampshire play Gloucestershire at Gloucester. So that that's Group Two. The the top four are all playing against each other in that round. Gloucester look like they're going to beat Middlesex. That game's still going on. That game's still which, going which, on. Which, which, if which, they win that, <clears throat> they'll put them in the top two alongside Somerset. Okay, which which makes Surrey Surrey's chances very very slim. But, yeah, but still because they're playing against Somerset. So it's basically between the top three in that group. Yeah. Um, group three's done and dusted. Um, Lancashire Yorkshire. Lancashire Yorkshire. A really good game between Yorkshire and Northants, by the way. Mm. Low scoring, spin friendly game. Best took career best figures of seven forty three. George um, Hill, youngster, made a, a brilliant 70-odd yeah. in the first innings when it was all sort of crumbling around him. Uh, and then Brook in the second innings dated exactly the same thing. But that's, that, that's done, though, isn't it? Group three is, yeah. is over. But, but it was only on that game, really, that, that North confirmed Anthes, it. Yeah. North Ants have lost two real arse-nippers against Yorkshire yeah. this year. You know, they, could have, they could have been top of this group. Yeah. Um, just yeah, On Brook, uh, he's scoring runs in all formats now. Um, he's obviously been a name that people have known in the game, former England under-19 captain, etc., etc. But he's... He's starting to make good runs now in all the formats. So he's one to look for. He was the uh, PCA has, Player of the Month. He has no shortage of self-confidence. That is fair. None. Um, he's a pretty, you know, <laughs> he, he rates himself. And he's pretty, he's pretty bloody good too, yeah. to be fair. Um, and then in, in Group 1, it is, it is still very, very tight at the top. Knotts and Warwickshire are in the driving seat at the moment to qualify uh, for Division 1. Durham are close and Essex with an outside chance, I don't think they're going to get it looking at the table. But D- Durham play Knotts yeah. in the last week at Durham. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, so if, obviously Durham are going to be without Carson and Stokes yeah. that one. But if, yeah. but if if they win that, you think they just about overtake Knotts, think? So that yeah. would be, a, or they would overtake Knotts. Yeah. But NSX have got Derby away. So again, they'd, they'd back themselves to pick up, yeah. pick up points there, weather permitting, all the rest of it. They need Worcester. So it's going to it's gonna be yeah. really, really tight. Yeah, Worc- and Worcester play Warwickshire, don't they? Mm. Um, I think I think mathematically Essex can do it, but I think it's a very, very long shot now. Yeah, so mm. between the three, really, I think. It's that Notts Durham game is going to be quite, yeah, quite exciting. Uh, but, but amazing that one of them is possibly even both, but but what one of those teams is, is definitely going to be in Division One though, given how. Both sides have been doing Red Bull cricket in the last in the last few years. Not just turnarounds, amazing. They literally didn't win a game for for nearly three years. Mm. Um, they look a look a really good side at the moment. Um, elsewhere, something the worth commenting on as a debut for a certain Josh DeCares, son of Michael Atherton yes. in the Middlesex. Atherton went as well. Oh really? He? he went. Yeah. Despite his despite despite himself, he went. Yeah, and they, and they won the in a mat. Yeah, and they 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 won. The, I think they won the toss and fielded. So he didn't. He saw him get his cap and whatever and. And then I think he vanished into the background when he found oh, out they were nice. fielding. But yeah, um, really nice moment. Your moments of the week might have all been Amla, but I'm mine, mine's different. Mine's uh, from a Glamorgan twos versus Northants twos game, where <laughs> <laughs> where Marnus Lavashane, fresh out of isolation, needed to you know get back in some nick, and he and he found it. Uh, Lavashane scored two hundred and seventy six of two hundred and sixty eight balls. Um, the Northamptonshire bowling attack featured a number of teenagers. Um, I, f- so I find that a bit unsettling, <laughs> a bit weird. Why? Why would you keep going? How, how much do you love playing? I just love the idea of Lavashin getting to two hundred, take Marky's guard again, like we start again, yeah. grinding, again. <laughs> grinding them into the dirt. Yeah, it's the only way they'll learn, right? Yeah, well, yeah, that that would be a huge learning experience for them. But I, I actually think I have a different view on Marcus Lavashin to most uh, England-minded. Uh, Fans as pundits, well, I find him really endearing. Actually, like I, I love how much he just loves it, uh, and I, I love that he would have just been like absolutely in his element there, just being like, "This is absolutely great." <laughs> uh, like. <laughs> 
Probably being like annoyingly nice to the North Ants bowlers yeah. as well, yeah. All well bowled. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nearly nicked that one, is it? Like screams are actually covered before. Well, we, we were talking about the, this really good interview with Adam Holyoke on the Great Cricketer podcast and Holyoke's been uh, Labashane's batting coach for the last few years at Queensland and, and Holyoke was just saying Labashane just like follows him around and just talks about cricket and kind of at him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I got, I'd love that. He likes, <laughs> <laughs> likes nothing better than constant cricket chat. <laughs> Um, to, to finish off, we have a we have a question from one of our listeners, Cat Knight. She asks, "How does the team describe the England head coach's role in cricket compared to football?" Gareth Southgate has been so talismanic for England football. Is there an equivalent in cricket? If not, why not? Well, it's the captain, isn't it, in cricket? That's always the, always the difference. You know, the, the the manager of the football team is kind of the boss, whereas I like to think that the captain of the cricket team is the boss. Um, and so, you know, the equivalent would be, I don't know, I suppose Michael Vaughan in 2005 or Andrew Strauss getting that, that team to, to the top. The, the co- coaches in, in cricket are facilitators um, and the best ones kind of, you know, allow, allow players to kind of make a lot of choices for themselves, whether that is bringing in outside coaches or, um, you know, fitness guys, gurus of, of your own choosing, really. It's kind of, it's more of a delegatory role, I think, as a cricket manager. I, th- uh, I think as well, if you look at Owen Morgan and some of his statements over the years uh, regarding what he wants his team to represent, I think there's parallels there with, with Southgate, for sure. Yeah. Um, there's a consciousness to both of those setups. You know, they don't just want to be sports teams. They don't just want to be role models. They want to stand for something over and above that. And if that can be con- confronting for certain people, then so be it. But, you know, and the, that takes a bit of courage, I think, because it's easy to to say nothing. You know, and mind your p's and q's. But but both of those those leaders have forged a story around their teams that goes beyond winning and losing and lifting cups and and this and the other. Um, so there's definite comparisons there, I think. Yeah, and, and I guess, I mean, not that we want to get too much into the, the football side of it, but I guess what Southgate has... We, we, we don't Why mind, not? we don't mind. <laughs> what, what, what Southgate has sort of managed to do is, is, you know, making them believe things that previously would have been, you know, huge psychological sort of chains around their necks, that those things can be sort of lifted. And I think he's done it by sort of being so embedded into English football and obviously been there himself having missed a pound or whatever, that like, you know that he understands everything that you're feeling and thinking. So you know that every decision he takes is made with that like psychological weight in mind whereas when England have had foreign coach maybe, maybe you can have felt that there wasn't that quite that same understanding of, of how much this all means sort of thing and you look obviously that there are parallels to England in ODI cricket with the 2019 World Cup where you know there had been such like a litany of heartbreak that uh that sort of needed something to change to have to happen and Owen Morgan did do a great deal of that and especially with sort of the you know about the English team's identity and about saying you know Allah was with us after World Cup final was a hugely poignant moment, sort of similarly to, to, to Southgate's letter about taking the knee before the uh, uh, before the tournament. But also, I think Trevor Bayliss, in a different sort of way, he's almost like he, he pulled back the facade in a way of, uh, of of you know tournament pressure and that sort of thing in life, being like, come on, let's just make a nice environment, let's just make something that means we can sort of play without that pressure, without thinking too I, much about that baggage. I can boil it down also to something that's 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 actually relevant to, to the playing of the game as opposed to the, to the stuff that goes on around it. And in both cases, you've, you've got, in, in Owen Morgan, in the, the One Day International team, and in Gareth Southgate with the football team, he very much believes that, that players should, should be told what their role is, how they're expected to fulfil it, and be picked... To, to provide the service to that particular role. How many years did we watch England football teams who refused to pick left-sided players because they weren't one of Frank Lampard or Paul Scholes or, or Steven Gerrard? It was, we, we need to have these names in because they're the biggest names, but they don't actually fulfil the role that, we, that the team needs to fulfil. None of them play that way, but we'll play them all anyway and we'll see if it works. Whereas Gareth Southcote goes, well, you know, there's a whole left side of the pitch. Why don't we pick people who kick the ball with their left foot so we don't slow the game down by pulling inside all the time you know just stuff like that we get we have a role we have a way we want to play with you know we're going to base our base our game around 
Um, possession football. We're not going to. Keeper's not going to get in his hands and boot it up the field so that it comes flying back at us twice as far. So we're going to get people who are comfortable doing this, and then we'll build around that. And I'm going to know what's happening with the under 15s, under 16s, under you know, and bring everybody through playing the same way. Owen Morgan with the, with the cricket team decided, right, we're not going to be timid. We're not going to play old-fashioned 50-over cricket. Therefore, I need to pick players who are comfortable going out there and trying to and trying to score 120 off the power play. I need bowlers that can take me wickets through the middle. And so you pick people who can do the things that, in a way that you want your team to play. There is your parallel. Yeah, and, and you, can't, you can't do any of those things if, you, if, you're, if you're forever picking players who are not suited to doing the things you're asking them to do. And if, if you Simple. look at, around the 2015 World Cup, sort of the, uh, the jettisoning before of Alistair Cook, obviously England's test caption at the time, and then afterwards of, of Ian Bell, who I think was England's leading run scorer in that World Cup campaign, and uh, an average, I think he averaged more than 50 in the end, he got sort of a, a, a few big scores against some of the lesser teams, um, and was England's leading ODI run scorer at that point, and also James Anderson, obviously at that point probably their greatest ODI bowler. To, to get rid of those three players, that was, I guess, the sort of similar thing that we're we're picking based on what's best for the team rather than, uh, you know, on, on reputations, Butch says. Well answered. Uh, that's all for today's show. Cheers, Phil. Cheers, Ben. Cheers, Mark. Uh, this has been the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, tell your friends and we'll be back next week. Cheers. Podcast Network.